Uh, We are now going to head into Lex's segment where he is going to talk a little bit about publishing incomplete games under the guise of early access. So, uh, welcome. And uh, this segment is sort of a little down history. You're basically going down a little history is the gimmick here. And so I kind of wanted to give everybody a sense of what this segment was about. You know, for me, I the first game I ever played was in elementary school many, many years ago. And then years later, I got to introduce my son to gaming. And now I'm getting a wonderful chance to introduce my grandchildren in the next couple of years to their first games. And so to me, I like to kind of go and talk about the trends in a game as they change. And as I've said before, there are certain things which have fundamentally changed. The one that always gets me is that you know, the code for those original games would fit in the upper left-hand corner of the splash screen of a modern game. Like, it's tiny. Yeah. Other things have stayed mostly the same, but have essentially evolved. As I said, I played a lot of Counter-Strike and first-person shooters of one type or another. My son plays Call of Duty today. And then, as I said, the last thing is, you know, some things are timeless. And as I pointed out last time, and I'll point out again, the very one of the very first games I've had, actually it was two of the very first games I ever played, were published in 1983 and 1984 by Electronic Arts. So it's an industry that has gone through a lot of evolution over the years. And I wanted to talk specifically about how we've entered this period, really started with the internet, but essentially has developed into what is now the era of early access. And this notion that you used to have to, back in the day, and we'll go through that a little bit, you used to have to essentially release what you had. And if it didn't work, you're screwed. And you just bought the game and you were unhappy and you could return it. But the publishers essentially had to just throw it out the door at some point and hopefully it was finished. And then the internet came along and it became possible to start patching games. So if the game came out broken or there was a problem, you could get a patch for it. And that kind of led, frankly, to a bunch of games that came out that were broken. And now you actually have people have figured out how to monetize games that either haven't even been made yet using things like Kickstarter, or they can get you to buy a game which is incomplete and continue to play it. So it's, it's changed as a world. And uh, I wanted to actually go back to the game I talked about last week. And I got some questions for you guys. I don't know if you studied this game, but it's E.T., the one I said that it's not, doesn't deserve I, I know ab- I know about it. It was funny you were bringing that up and that it suffered from its, like the Atari 2600, correct? That's what it suffered from mainly. That that's the issue. So let me ask you a couple of questions about this game. So uh, first of all, it's not a great game. Understand? It's, <laughs> it's a it's a dull game, but its reputation makes it into like the top ten worst games ever. And I promise you, I've played many games worse. So first of all, question for both of you: Des may know this one. I'm curious if you know this one. Uh, super. How many people made that game? How many people developed it? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I'm Ooh. gonna guess a team of like twenty. What do you think, Des? Uh, what, what year did this come out again? Nineteen. This is nineteen eighties, early eighties. I, I would say two. either one or two, maybe three. One. Yeah, that was that's the most common in that area with one. And he had actually come up with a couple of. He'd had a, I think, Jar's Revenge. He'd also made another very popular game. So, also going back to it, how much time was he given to make the game? Two weeks. 
20 minutes. They had to do over a lunch break. <laughs> you actually are both under. It was six weeks. Six oh. weeks. Now, now imagine, I'm going to ask this one to Des, who's in the business today, does this kind of stuff. Could you imagine with the hardware and equipment that he had in that era, he has to write his own game. He has to test his own game. He has to do all the QE, everything. He's all on him. He's got six weeks to make the game. Could you imagine trying to do that? Um, well, I could because uh, I've tried stuff like that before. <laughs> I, I know you, it, got, you actually have a combination. You're like making a combination system for it. Yeah. So it's the interesting, the hardest part about that process at the time was not even the, the making and testing. It was the trying to fit it inside the space and memory and uh, that you had available. That was the that was the challenge. And so um super intense six weeks, but in many respects, I think that's actually easier than some of the stuff that goes on today. Oh maybe. I still I still think it's a crazy pace. It is a crazy pace. So but I know they... a, a lot of games in that era were made in one or two months. A lot and of that them. and that reflects a culture that, frankly, if I, if I've read about it, was not per, not particularly respectful of programmers at the time. That was no. an era in which a programmer was just a guy to bat cave. Well, a, and a... and like the credits <laughs> in those games usually didn't. It, it took a while before they even put the programmer's name in the credits. So so yes, in fact, that's why apparently why Activision was formed. They mm. a lot of the developers left is they wanted to get some credit for their product. You yep. laugh about the bat cave C pair, but I said in a meeting one time uh, <laughs> of, of technical engineers and the lady comes in and gives a presentation and she just basically refers to the developers as people. She just hires out of the bat cave. So I've used that over the years. Just like but a bunch you know, of bats just fly out of this room. <laughs> but do you, do you know why I only had six weeks? The, the reasons actually tells you a lot about what drives this phenomenon. I don't know on that particular yeah, one. Usually, yeah, though, is because they had they had a a release date for some yes they, arbitrary they had, reason. They had to release at Christmas, mm. which if you back in that era, if you were going to, that's when the consoles all sold. Like, yep. My dad's in my dad got us an NES, and I'll never forget the story of him showing up and he's spending all day Christmas Christmas Eve driving around town trying to find this thing because nobody had him and he comes in and he basically walks in with it and we're all just so excited he doesn't even pack the thing up it's going to be a gift for us we don't even like he doesn't even bother to pack it we're just all so excited apparently he had gone to a store and they had brought out a pile of them and he was there in that like three minutes that those were available and that's why we got our nes that christmas so christmas delivery was a big deal they got the license very late in the year and the game, the movie had come out that year. So there was just a bunch of things. And they figured if they're going to monetize this thing, if they're going to make any money, they got to release it. Now, I consider this both a complete game in one sense and that it's totally playable. You can win it. By the way, I think Josh Strife Hayes played it and figured out you could win it in like five minutes if you know what you're doing. Like you could, the game was very quick if you know what you're doing. But essentially, it's incomplete in the sense that they, all the things he might have done, all the potential that was there, he had no time to do. He couldn't test, couldn't build, couldn't bring it in. And so the game is complete, but it's basically nothing, which is what makes it a dull and boring game. 
But that was kind of what you had to do in that area. You had two choices. You could either go through that and just do the best you could and get it out, or you could release it and complete. And I don't know if you ever bought, but in those days you could buy these packages of just hundreds of sort of off, just made by various people, and they would sell you like a big pile of them, and half the games were broken. And I would occasionally, here's 100 games you can buy for like five bucks, and 60 of them don't work, right? And so that that was just the reality of the time. The developers had no choice. But even, even later, after the internet came out, it was still a problem. I, I'll never forget, I played a game in 1994 called Outpost. It's a, produced by Sierra. It was a colony builder. It was a really fun concept of a game. But it was an example of kind of how that world worked. And that they the things on the back of the box listed features not actually in the game. Yeah. So the game, so the game played... It, it was playable, it was winnable, but they the marketing had put in all these features. They published all the stuff, and then the game had to go out. And when it went out, it went out without everything there. And that was my first real experience of like specifically looking at the back of the box and seeing a bunch of features that weren't there. In fact, it utterly confused me at the time. But so that, have that's you ever, kind of, Have you ever played KOTOR, Knights of the Old Republic? Uh, I've not played KOTOR, no. Uh, KOTOR 2 um, uh, so you go through the game and they're building up this this basically this whole storyline with all these characters and then you get to a certain point where the ending is supposed to be and it just falls completely flat <laughs> it's just like it's like compared to the rest of the game the ending was slapped together in five minutes that actually happened with Dark Souls Dark Souls 1 if you guys play it the first half of Dark Souls is really great. By the time you get to the last few levels, one of the final challenges is quite clearly not even like it was getting to placeholder land, like the the yeah. placeholder mobs. <laughs> they just had to get it out, right? They were yep, under yep. pressure and they didn't want to release an incomplete game, so they sort of rushed the thing, and you can tell. And they and apparently they've even admitted it that, that particular game just they they ran out of time on a particular section. So I'm gonna. I'm going to go into the next one, which is, I, I think, the most interesting gaming saga I've ever experienced. And I had the pleasure of being there when it was happening. So it was like uh, the the infamous game Battlecruiser 3000 AD and the incredible story of the man Derek Smart, who just to this day is uh, quite the figure in the industry. So Derek Smart had this really interesting idea of a, of a game that's in a lot of ways is like take the elite concept where you drive you you have a ship a battle cruiser and you play in this sort of open world and you could do all these great things it's it, i would say that's what the x series today is essentially become right but it's you know, 1996 on mm. processors and equipment at that time oh so that's problem number one. Second, it was released incomplete and what i mean by releasing complete is if you had the original disc and tried to play it, the game would not play. They literally shipped a CD of a game that wouldn't play. Sounds like a solid game. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Now, to be completely fair to Derek Smart, he's actually spent years getting the game fixed. And additionally, and this, this is the first crazy part of this story, have you ever heard of a game developer suing his publisher? Uh, oh. sure, yeah, I have. That Derek did. He, he sued Take-Two Interactive for releasing <clears> a complete game. They settled out of court about it a couple years later. He's His claim at the time 
was that the game was not complete and it was forced out the door, which I totally get if they're take two and they, they, they've sitting on this property and they put all this money into it. They want to get it out the door. But of course, releasing a game that doesn't play on many people's computers is not a good start, right? Now, yeah. Derek's, Derek's the same guy. So there's a couple other crazy things about the saga. First of all, he claimed in 1996 that there was a neural network inside the game. Now, right, you were telling you were really, telling me about this, yes, yeah. Yes. So, so I'm gonna. Do you know what the most expensive processor you can easily buy for Nvidia costs? Like, how much do those things cost? Like at the time? No, today, 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 oh. today. Oh, hundreds, so of, like an, hundreds of thousands. Well, I haven't found any on the market. I've heard people talk about them that, but like one you can buy off the shelf. Sure, is, like is the Titan RX is like a thousand bucks. Or like two thousand dollars for like uh, for the forty nine uh, forty ninety for instance. But here's the thing, right? They make processors, they make GPUs of that type to do neural networks today. Okay, this is the highest end processor GPUs they make today. Generally, you chain these things together. But wait a to second, really? Correct yep. me if I'm wrong here, I, and I don't know. I I'm actually just I'm I'm trying to understand this. Do, GPUs don't have any effect on a neural network, correct? Wouldn't it be well, I, no, that, CPU? That's completely, that's completely untrue. Oh, uh, okay. So, like so, I said, I don't know. I'm like, I'm asking you. <laughs> so, so I'll, I'll go very technical for a second. Oh no! Brace uh, yourselves, everybody. The neural networks are fitted generally using something called gradient descent, and gradient descent is a method that requires a whole lot of calculations of the gradients, which, in standard English, if you went in calculus, they're they're the first derivatives of, of the equations. And so they require floating point arithmetic of a particular type, and they require lots and lots of it. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of computations that repeated over and over and over again to fit these, particularly the deep neural networks. And so a GPU is a perfect device for that. It has, it has floating point processors. And in fact, NVIDIA specifically sells a capability on the GPUs to turn off their graphics capability and just use them for floating point math which is what we do work in other places. I've, I've done this a number of times. And so it takes massive amounts of processors. Like, I don't know if you guys, between Bitcoin miners and, and machine learning people, there was a rush on video cards. You just, the market got completely insane, right? Yep. And so imagine that's what it takes to, to fit a neural network today. And then of course the fitted neural network has, to, it takes a certain, the actual learned algorithm has to be fitted and run in real time. He's claiming this would happen in the 1996 game. So needless to say, it, Flame War started over. The most famous Flame War of its era, 70,000 posts over like two and a half years. Like they started in 1996 and they were still having arguments on this topic on Usenet, which was a early social, more than social media, but before the modern social media, this is how people talk to each other. And they were still arguing over this for two years. And the main reason is that Derek Smart was one of those guys, uh, he seems like he's still that way today, who never had anyone ever attack him. He didn't have to attack back. So the argue, it would just be back and forth. Somebody would make some disparaging comment and Derek Smart would very insultingly respond. And, and one time I actually got the game and then I did the patches to get it playable and I was gonna give it a try. And when I did, I had a couple questions. So I emailed him. And his responses were basically, aren't you smart enough to understand how this works? 
That was basically oh, the gist of his responses. So you can imagine this guy. So first he's getting, he's claiming there's a neural network, which is getting called BS by anyone who really understood the technology. He's relying upon the fact that in 1996, most people didn't know what a neural network was. So he's kind of playing a little fast and loose. Then, and this is the second part of the saga, he claims to have a PhD, but when asked where from, he wouldn't say where it was from, which my awareness of this, that's rare. You will rarely find anyone with an actual doctorate that will not tell you where they got it from and if you ask what they got it on. And it's actually generally supposed to be a, a matter of public record. You're supposed, part of the gimmick with a PhD is you're supposed to show it to people and prove that you have the skills. So this other guy, I think his name was Bill Huffman, but it was, he basically challenged this. And for about two years, they went on and on and on. Now, I would say the final resolution in this is interesting to me. If you go to Derek Smart's webpage today, nowhere on his webpage is he claimed to have a PhD, which I think is telling about the kind of guy that this is. So you can imagine this game. At the time, the game doesn't play. It's incomplete. Derek Smart's claiming he's fixing it. He's patching it. He's suing his developer. And he's flame warming everybody that has anything bad to say about the game. So you can imagine the the chaos of this at the time. I actually bought the game just because I was so curious to play at what was at the time this famous piece of crap that was incomplete and got published. I will say I had some really interesting ideas. I will also say that he kept working on it for years. So he was very devoted to his game. Now, he actually got involved in a, another dispute. I don't know if any of you heard of what he's been doing lately. Oh. Uh -huh. Maybe remind me. He decided to tell Chris Roberts that Star Citizen is a game. Right. About Star. Yeah. Uh, he has uh, one of the most famous incomplete games ever. And he goes to Chris Roberts, who made some of the best games of. And he said, it, he said essentially, it's not going to. It's not, it's not going to. It's not possible. No. Yeah, yeah. And one one can argue that the guy knows what it means to have a game you can't finish. So maybe he's an expert on the topic, right? But. <laughs> That's his, <laughs> that's his PhD. That's what he has a PhD yeah, in. PhD. Bingo! We figured it out, guys. PhD in incomplete game. Yeah, yeah. PhD in incomplete games. So I'm just curious. So, have you ever heard of any crazy saga like this? This admittedly was 20 years ago. This was way before most people's times. But could you imagine this kind of thing today? Well, I'd say it of... happens all the time, right? Like everybody um, and their pet dog today. Like you know, we have a game. Like that's, uh, you know, incomplete or whatever, right? And it's like it doesn't it doesn't work properly. And it, like I can think of a if there's one game in particular that I wouldn't say is incomplete. Like from a, I, I would say incomplete. When I say incomplete, not so much that it's not working. Like, but it's like it's a functional game. But it's almost like it's a it's like a demo. That's like a demo of a game. And I would say one of them in particular that was a really big one would have been like Sea of Thieves. You know, Sea of Thieves comes out onto the market with this, like, absolutely Mount Everest level of hype, right? And and then it just is like, oh, like, it's funny, too, because I don't know if you ever played Sea of Thieves. You'd probably like it, Lex. It's, it's right up your alley. I've actually seen it. I just never picked it up. Yeah, I think, I think you'd like Steam, it. it. I think it I is. saw it. Yeah, yeah. But essentially, in layman's terms, what happened was they they did these two like alpha tests right so they did one weekend alpha test two weekend alpha test right and and every alpha test it, it i mean 
if you want an example of how to do marketing properly, I'd say that's how you do it is you really build this hype. You're just like, it's almost like you shake a pop bottle and then you just like open up the cap and it just fizzes all over the place. And so what happened was they're like, oh, don't worry, there's more content. Don't, don't worry that you're you're playing a demo of the game. Like you're playing, you're playing a, and, and you're playing a light version of the game. Then the game came out and I was like, oh, Okay. That actually, it's it's an early access, guys. Don't worry. Like I'm you, like oh, you've actually geez. you've actually hit on something. So you know it's it's a little side topic. We all play Prosperous Universe, and the devs have added a change. And the first thing they said was oh, oh, a little bit of a oh. negative response. And, 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 and <laughs> inevitably, inevitably, because it's an early access, right? They're like, we'll change it, we'll fix it. And of course, I've been down this road so many times that I'm like, whatever, dude. You got to show me. Like don't 100%. claim you're yeah, gonna 100%, fix it. Yeah. You gotta show me you're gonna fix it, right? Actually have a history of of listening and responding. And in some ways I'll I'll give them the devs have. In other ways, I'm like, are you actually playing the same game? Like I, I it confuses me. But so I would say the difference nowadays is it was a smaller world then and the conflict went a lot longer. Like Cyberpunk is, is sort of famous, but it hype happened, got a bunch of they crap. Got Keanu everybody. Reeves. <laughs> yeah. So but the thing is the cycles are much quicker now. So they are like, yeah. whereas that game, like in 2000, and there are posts in 2004 talking about that conflict in 1996. Like there was still the last embers of it were still alive on the internet. And if you go look it up, you'll find little, little hints of it out there. And because it was just the, there was a time when, when the cycles were just longer and this thing stayed in the news of the gaming world a lot, a lot more to the point where it's become sort of a famous story that almost nobody anymore today remembers or was part of, but it was, but it was interesting when it happened. Now that was the, that was sort of like the early era, but I will say the internet did change things and, and sort of before the permanent, you know, beta status of early access, there was the internet can fix it phase where game, oh, yeah, yeah. game companies like, well, it's a little bit broken, but that's just a couple of bugs. Will release it, and what game companies were doing was the publishers were pushing it out the door. They needed to get the money, right? The the problem in that era, same as we talked about before, you didn't make money on the game until you got it released, but you were spending money the whole time. So if a game company was reaching into their budgets and was running out of cash and needed to get out the door, they'd push it out the door and hope they could bug fix it fast enough. And that worked sometimes. I I don't know if any of you guys have ever remember what. A game called Anarchy Online. This was one of the early. Oh, I remember classes. Anarchy Online. Yes, I've heard about this. Okay, yes. so I tried to play it. It was a lesson in wait a month. So essentially, it was in a beta phase, and they did exactly what you talked about before. It's beta. It's clearly beta. It's not ready, but they got to get it out the door, and they're going to fix it afterwards. So they launch. And immediately discover that their platform is not anywhere near capable of handling the size of the players they planned for. To the point where for, I'd say, the first month, you could either barely log in, or if you tried to play it, you could barely play it. It was completely unplayable game. And even worse, I'd paid money to play it, right? So you go buy the game. This is the pre. You, know, you go buy the game, pay the full money for it. It looks interesting. You've enjoyed the beta. And then they launch it early and you just can't play it. It's just a complete disaster. And it's not the only one. I mean, I think more recently was uh, the, the famous story of Final Fantasy XIV, where they basically just said, pulled it back and fixed it. I don't know if either of you followed the story of that one. But... Uh, there was a game that I'm trying to remember. I can't remember which one it is that shipped 
when it shipped, the box came with the first patch in it. I've I've, I've bought games like that before. Yeah. I, I have where essentially they 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 printed out the discs and then they had to they had a patch. Or they had a patch that, yeah. because and usually the when that happened way at least back in the CD-ROM era is because the the CD-ROMs have to be mastered. Um, but they could patch a game with a floppy disk. So or they could do it on, or you could do it online, it's, or you could, or small. you could download it online. And so, yeah, they'll, 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 they have to get, and the mastering takes a while. Um, so there's a certain date where it has to go to the mastering process, and the game is what it is at that point. And then they're frantically trying to patch it before launch, so that at launch you can go download the patch. What's interesting to me is that that was the way it was for a while. But more recently, we've entered a new era, right? This, this early access era, which fascinates me because the way I describe it is now you can monetize your game before you finish it. Or if you really want to and you want to go Kickstarter, you can monetize your game before you even start making it, <laughs> which is totally changes games. Now, to be completely fair, I want to mention multiple games that have been in were in early access for long periods of time. Turbo Space Program, several years in early access. Several. Subnautica. Oh yeah, that was yeah. a de- so, that and, was and a I, decade of of early access for that game. And I think I think early access Kerbal uh, Space Program would not have actually been existed or been successful or actually. Uh, essentially come out without early access well if you remember uh i don't know if you ever looked up the dev behind the game like it's you're right like it seemed to him it seemed to me at least it's of my opinion that this was a passion project for him but it became but it became much larger than than he imagined it becoming which is great like i'm kind of like fantastic but he very much was like no i i just want this to be like a patch, like kind of like, kind of like, um, what's his face? Like, well, uh, uh, Notch, Notch in Minecraft, right? He, yep. Where it's like, he's like, okay, I'm a billionaire now, but it's like, really, I just want to get back to my passion project roots. And it's like, fair enough, dude, like all the power to you. But just, I hate to tell you this, but you made a very wildly successful game. <laughs> <laughs> you have a very big problem on your hands here. You made a very successful product. But I would say that this phenomenon, this is not the only game, right? Subnautica, yep. Ark of Survival Evolved, apparently, Factorio oh for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we're all currently playing one that's in early access. And so I actually really support the concept of early access. I really do. Do either of you have any sense of how many games you're currently playing that are in early access? I, I'm just curious. I would say 80% of my games are early access. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Uh, fair number. So it's a fair number in especially of games that I that I started playing while they were in early access. No, actually. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, Alex, before you uh, say something, I was just going to say, you know what? Actually, let me rephrase this stuff. Say 80%. But let me say this. The lines between this is my thesis statement. The lines between early access and release are getting blurred more and more. Yes, I actually agree with you. I think there are many early access games that are totally playable. They just the developer wants to refine it or polish. Oh, I would say the inverse. I would say the inverse, where it's like, uh, like, and actually, it's funny. This is kind of a little bit of a marketing case study for you guys, but um, you know, I think there was an article about PC Gamer talking about it. I forget what game they were talking about. Um, 
one where you were like uh playing in like uh like toy soldiers like you were toy soldiers playing like a kid's bedroom or something like that like uh like it was um it was like an fps kind of thing where you're like it's like toy story but fps think of it like that um and essentially they did like their release their early access release but then they're like all right and now we're in 1.0 right it's like the game is released and it's like in a just the same amount of state you know what Oh, you know what game is actually like this right now that we would all know? Well, I don't know if you guys know it, but I, I would assume you guys do to some degree. Are you guys familiar with the game Dual Universe? It, it, it's right up your alley, Lex. So the thing is, is they were very much like, um, we're, we're going to do all these updates, right? They're, we're going to do all these updates and 1.0 is going to come out. We're going to launch this game on Steam. 1.0 is going to come out. And it's going to be fantastic. And the diehard fan, so there is a diehard fan community about this game, was very much like, this game is nowhere near ready, like, to be released on one point. This is not 1.0. This is, like, we're still on early access. So that, I'd say, is more dangerous, where you have a game that's like, well, right, 1.0. And it's like, uh, actually, you're still early access, buddy. That's that's nothing new to me. It's not. No, it isn't. That's the history of games. If, if anything, I'd say the more interesting, the, the idea that the game gets released early to maximize the profit, that's that's as old as the industry. It just really is, right? I mean, it goes back to the Atari games we're talking about, and probably before that. But the, the more interesting thing to me is the games that get essentially completed in early access. And this is, I think, a sign of a really good publisher that are a good developer that will, they'll keep it in early access for just a little bit longer than it probably needed to be to some last refinements, bug fixes, and then push it out. And there are some games that get in that state. I would say Factorio, for example, is way, Factorio was essentially effectively completed well before it left early access. It's true that. It was yeah. Completely playable in any meaningful sense. The developer was just trying to improve the game. So it, now, to be fair, it all comes down to, you know, the problem of monetization. So I got a question for you guys, and this is, I don't want you to look this one up, but how much money, <laughs> how much money has Star Citizen made in its early access you know, pre-release mode? Oh, golly, it's an ungodly number. Two bucks. They did it for two bucks. That's my bid, uh, Bob Barker. <laughs> uh, I mean... 500 is, million. Yeah, it is yeah. it is ridiculous. Now, first of all, what game, frankly, just what game deserves 500 million? I, if it costs you 500 Fact, million to make Factorio. a game. Factorio. Factorio deserves all the money. <laughs> well, okay. Factorio is worth 500 million, but what game should take five? Think about it. We went from one guy in six weeks to one game making 500 yeah. million dollars. It's it's insane. Now, and, and granted, I, Star Citizen is way more complex than that six week game. It's, but, but it's also not complete and equally it, important. Yep. I don't think they do a particular. I, I will admit that I'm not comfortable with their monetization model. Well, no, have you have I'm you played Star all. Citizen, Lex? I'm not, and I I actually refuse to. Can I just say any... this much? To not to the defense of Star Citizen, not that I played one of their free fly weeks. I, I so I haven't paid for the game, but I played one of their free fly weeks that they did. I will say this to the defense of it: it is ambitious. I like there was things about the game. There was a lot of problems. Oh, don't get don't 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 get me wrong. There was a lot of like way over promising on delivering here, right? But for what it was worth, there was actually quite a bit of things that actually Lex, I dare say you would be pretty impressed by. Uh, so speakably fair, I like Chris Roberts. 
uh, he made Wing Commander. This guy can literally completely bomb his rest of his life, and I will. I he will still be a star in my book because he made two of the games of my of my childhood, my early bladed adolescent, early adulthood. That to me, Wing Commander was the first game of its type that I ever played and fell in love with. And then Wing Commander Two was the first game I ever played where I really got into the story, and was really excited to play the game for so just for the story. So I I'll forgive him that. But here's the thing, right? First of all, it's $500 million. If you're going to put $500 million into a game, it better be a lot more complete than it is. Two, I do not like the monetization model. I don't like the selling limited ships for ridiculous amounts of money as a way of... it. it you're pre-selling something that hasn't been made at very high prices on the basis of some sort of future it's a fomo thing right you got it's a limited issue you got to buy it now like it, it's you you've got the real money for something that's not completed i just don't like that now you know i will probably end up playing the game at some point when i'm in the mood but i but i don't like that kind of approach to me that is another game that's sort of become famous as, as a bomb was was dream world if you followed any of the fun sagas of that right oh uh, yes have. i am <laughs> yeah. yeah so so i mean just basically from what i can tell dream world is you know if it's not a scam, it's a couple of guys that are way, way overstating their ability that promise things like we're going to have a world with thousands and hundreds of thousands of players. Like that's difficult to do even today. You're just two guys in a corner going to go do this and essentially sell. And they finally push the game out and it's a joke. I mean, if you've seen any discussion of it, it's, I would say dream world at this point is more of a game that people play to make fun of than a game that actually provides any value. Now, of course, I haven't looked at the game in months, but the released game was a joke and essentially mm-hmm. took a lot of people's money. And there, there have been some other Kickstarter scandals. There's um, one, I can't remember the name of it, but there have been games that have you know, spent millions of dollars and produced nothing or not produced what they claimed they were going to produce. Or essentially it's like, well, I have a legal requirement to produce something. So I'm going to just dump it out there. So there's a that's the part of that well, model and, I don't like. But here's here's the interesting thing about Star Citizen in particular is that Star Citizen scratches an imaginative uh an itch that gamers have of this mm-hmm. massive in every sense of the world game. Yeah. Immersive. Ironically, uh, the, the the ready player one that people think that they wanted from last week, that's yeah. closer to the what an yeah. actual feasible ready player one exactly well and what i've seen okay. i was gonna say what i'm impressed by and i think lex what you'd be impressed by what really impressed me and you might be like okay perry like this doesn't sound that impressive but it really was was so i got on like a crew essentially for this free fly week i actually found like a group of guys right and they were like hey pair like come with us we're gonna show you our ship and like we're gonna go fly around and do missions. First of all, the missions were very lackluster. The missions were like, like just absolutely. I was like, I was like, uh, like hundred million dollars for those yeah. missions. And here's the weird thing about it. Here's the weird thing about it. They were all like, oh, right. Okay, Perk, get ready. Like, we're going to, we're going to pop open the door and then you're going to throw a grenade and like, we're going to like go in their guns ablaze. Right. And I played squad, right? Like, like the male sim shooter squad. And I was like, all like you know i had that experience so i played like this is about to get real i did right i was like i was like okay let's do this let's do this and i was like pew 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 pew. i was like what is this and everybody everybody it was almost like i was role-playing with a bunch of like i was role-playing with a bunch of guys in the sense of like that they were all like like go 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 and i'm like this is this is so easy 
Like, this is too easy. Like, what are we doing? So here's the thing, though. What impressed me about it, though, what what there was some component that didn't impress me, and that was the idea of when we were flying in the ship, the amount of... So we had, like, seven people in a ship, right? There were seven of us in this ship, right? And each one of us could be doing a completely different activity. And I, I can't name a game. And, and forgive me, because you probably could name a game, maybe, but maybe not. Like, maybe Elite Dangerous comes close. But whereby, like, so for instance, I was in, I think I was in the med bay getting healed up from our last mission and somebody was like flying the ship and then somebody was flying a mining shuttle that was attached to our ship. Somebody was on the turret down below in the third level of the ship. So I found it very cool in the sense for the first time in a video game ever, and maybe this is getting too off topic. Sorry, guys. I just, I'm kind of nerdy about, (laughs) I'm getting passionate about this topic is um, for the first time ever. I felt like it was like, like a movie. Like I felt like we were in a movie where there was like a, there was a comms person. There was this, and like each person had a role to do when we were all doing it. I was like, this is actually kind of cool. Like it it felt really cool. And I think that's what, uh, that's what, why Star Citizen has sold is that, that is the vision, right? And, and I think people want to play that game. And I think they're willing to risk money for it. And I think that's why early access exists in its, in its good job. Ideal right? Good job. Des. bring us back to topic. I like it. <laughs> Look at this. No, that's why I hire you Des. <laughs> but seriously, like that's why, that's why early access exists is for people to make games a reality that don't fit the mold. I, I love early access, to be completely clear. Uh, the problems with early access are just the same problems as anything has, right? It can be abused or it can be misused or it can, it, it has problems, but those problems are not organic to the approach. Like it's not, it's just yeah. sometimes people get ahead of themselves or they promise more than they can deliver or it just doesn't get complete. But the idea, well, I, I've played so many good early access games that I that I agree probably wouldn't have been made. That I'm more than willing to participate in that. My yeah. issue with Star Citizen is legitimately around the monetization model. Five hundred million. Yeah, I've, oh. I've I've seen people play it. I've seen images of it. Look, it looks like a really interesting concept for a game. But I will say, five hundred million to get what you got seems like somebody overpaid, right? And two, I don't like that monetization approach. There are people putting up large amounts of dollars on some future thing that takes years to get them. I just, I just not a fan of that. I don't like, I don't like taking large amounts of money from people in general. I just think that's just bad form to be completely fair, which is why games that allow that I don't generally play. Well, and it also, uh, when you're taking an insanely large amount of money from a very few people to fund your game relative to the entire player base, then you're going to prioritize the experience of those few people. And I think that does a disservice to the game overall. And and that that's a risk in any anything where money is involved has that yep. that risk. Yep. But but yeah, I uh, so I, you know I think this is this is in some ways like I said I think it's a much better world than we started. Uh, there are some obviously some risks. I will say just from my own direct experience that it's much better than the world of which I started with, where you'd pay forty dollars for a game and you might get an incomplete product and you had no chance of it ever improving. That was unpleasant. Yeah, yep. That was that was just bad, and and for a while there really turned me off to a lot of games. 
I just I just didn't want I if well, I didn't it, love it. It was a calculated risk because like I remember back then, uh, you know, I had I had enough money for one game. And I had to pick the game that number one, uh, my machine could actually run because that was actually a real challenge. Oh gosh, I for, I, I'm glad not to live in those days anymore. Oh man. And then I had to pick a game that actually would, would, was actually a good game with very, very limited review ability. And then I had to pick a game that actually wasn't just all smoke and mirrors. And it was a risk. And that's the I, one game I could buy. And, and I think we live in a much better world now today. So even even with the faults of early access, I think the I think my final point would be the fact, you know, the monetization is a reality of games, right? It's it's they have to be paid for. There's no free game, as we said earlier. And so I'd much rather have an environment where independent developers and companies can put their product out there, get interest, get buyers, and then finish yep. it. Yeah, I think that's a better world in general. Yeah. And so I think on that topic, I think we'll go move on to the next topic. Awesome. Well, thank you, Lex. Lex, I tell you, man, you definitely know how to pick them. I, I tell you. Uh, yeah. No. So if there's definitely one thing I think we've learned from that, it really is, you know, take your hand, put it on your wallet and hold on tight. <laughs> <laughs> is that the that the theme for this episode? Yeah, that's the theme of this episode. Because I'm literally about to talk about that exact same thing. All right. Well, before we before we. Oh, uh, for those that are listening that don't know, like tonight, we're just like we're all coming to this podcast just so tired. And uh, uh, this is the shenanigans that happen when we're tired. <laughs> <laughs>